Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on February 23rd, 2021. Hello everyone, this is Shannon back with you for your usual Tuesday episode where we talk about new books and of course I have an author interview for you as well. So we will do the interview first as we usually do and today you are going to hear an interview I did with author Sarah Pierce about her mystery thriller novel entitled The Sanatorium. If you, like me, enjoy reading very creepy books in the wintertime while the weather is cold and dreary, The Sanatorium will serve you quite well, so definitely check it out. So we are going to get to the usual housekeeping information and then we'll get straight to the interview before we talk about new books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and I am here today with author Sarah Pierce, whose novel, The Sanatorium, was released here in the U.S. on February 2nd. Sarah, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Uh, No problem. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. Can we start out with you giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to The Sanatorium? Absolutely. Yeah, the sanatorium is a, I would describe a bit of a creepy thriller. (laughs) It's set in a luxury hotel called La Somme, uh, a building that used to be an old sanatorium. So it's been converted into this new hotel uh, and it's set very high in the Swiss Alps. Uh, The book follows Ellen Warner, who is a British detective. Uh, She travels to the hotel for her brother's engagement. But things take a really dark turn when her brother's fiance, Law, disappears almost as soon as Ellen arrives. Um, And Ellen really has to step up to the plate to investigate as a snowstorm uh, strands the guests and the staff at the hotel. So there is a very interesting trend, at least here in the U.S., of these houses that sometimes belong to kind of infamous people being turned into hotels or bed and breakfasts. Like right now, you can apparently um, stay in Lizzie Borden's house, which has been turned into a bed and breakfast. Oh, my. I, I don't know that I would want to stay in a hotel that had been kind of want this creepy place but it definitely okay. makes a really good idea for a thriller <laughs> exactly. so can we talk a little bit about your setting then and kind of what prompted you to set a thriller in a place like this 
Yeah, so the, the story really came about after I read an article in a Swiss magazine um, about the history of sanatoriums in the Alps and, and the town we were staying in, which is a place called Kranzmontana. Um, I lived in Switzerland in my 20s and, and I'd already always thought it would be a really great place, the mountains in particular, for setting a book. There's something when a snowstorm comes in and you feel quite isolated, you're high up on the mountain. I thought that would be a great place for fiction, but it was only really years later when I read this article that the sort of idea started to flesh out and I just thought how fascinating it would be to have a hotel set in this old abandoned sanatorium and how would the guests and the readers feel um, about that and you've obviously still got in the in the hotel without giving too much away some kind of clinical reminders of the of the hotel's past as a sanatorium so I thought it could be a really fun thing to play with in a thriller. So when you were actually sitting down to write this then, did you do any kind of research into the history of sanatoriums and like what people might have experienced there? Yeah, a lot, actually. It was really great. So from that initial article, uh, it kind of led me off in the direction of a book which had been written by a local photo historian um, who'd yeah shared lots of photographs in the book and lots of her research about um, local sanatoria. And then, yeah, online, there's a wealth of information. So not just about uh, in this resort but all over Switzerland and in Europe about sanatoriums and the treatment they used so I was able to gather lots of material there was also some really cool um, YouTube videos so I don't know if you've heard of sort of urban exploration where people kind of um, yes. you know, illegally break into these buildings and then yes. build them so they've done them in asylums um, yeah old abandoned power stations and yeah it really set my imagination firing so there was a lot of information also about architecture of sanatoriums which I went down a real rabbit hole with that one. <laughs> so yeah, lots and lots of research. And as you were researching, did you come across anything that was kind of surprising to you or something that you like weren't really expecting? Yeah, there was some detail actually about the, the, the sort of methods they used in the sanatorium. So sort of oh. quite experimental methods about tuberculosis that surprised me. And one of them I reference in the book. So obviously it's it's quite easy, easy in a way for us to judge now with antibiotics and all of the modern medicine. But yeah, they kind of used to artificially collapse the lung and sometimes they used the mallet to do that. Um, oh, so um, well. yeah, there was lots of Lots of things I read, I was like, wow. But obviously, you know, they didn't know at the time kind of, you know, any better in a way. So, yeah, that, lots of details I was quite surprised by, as well as about sanatoria, which weren't necessarily for tuberculosis. But it's an idea I pulled together. It was more for treatment of mental illness. But, yeah, women were often kind of sent to institutions when they weren't actually mentally ill, um, which surprised me. I'd, I'd, I'd read articles before, but I, I found an interesting book where um, they had a letter written from the perspective of the Guardian, who was kind of basically admitting her on false pretenses, um, as well as the, the woman herself. So, yeah, lots of fascinating uh, things I found out. Not always nice. When I was in graduate school, um, I was studying social work. And so we learned a lot about kind of those early days of institutionalizing not only women, but people with various types of disabilities, people that yeah. basically you just wanted to get out of the way for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, so unfortunately, that is a kind of well-documented, nasty truth that we all, I think, need to pay attention to and remember yeah definitely I mean 
so many forgotten voices. That's what I think is quite scary when you were saying yes. numbers of thousands of women. I just thought how frightening it must have been to have been in that situation. Um, and yeah, with no real power uh, to do anything about it. Terrifying. It's true. It's true. I, that would be, I think, one of the worst things that could happen, especially, you know, when you are in your right mind and you know that you are. And yet anyone that you talk to that you try to convince is just sort of not paying attention. Yeah, absolutely. That must be you just that sense of utter powerlessness. I think it's quite hard to imagine now, isn't it? But I think it, it was is. just norm for so many years and for so many women. I think it's still in some societies today, isn't it? It's very much the case. So, yeah, we're very lucky. So have you kind of wanted to be a writer all along or is this something that you just kind of came to um, more recently or kind of what is your writing journey? Yeah, so I started, I, I've always loved reading, probably from a really young age, so from five, I, yeah, I just love reading, and then I always sort of write, wrote stories as a child, um, and then, yeah, it led me to studying um, English, and, English and creative writing as a degree course, and it was quite a new degree at the time at my university called Warwick University here in the UK, um, yeah, and I learned a huge amount there from my tutors, um, yeah, and just really about the writing process, but I think very much at that point, I kind of knew I didn't have quite enough to stay, say. So we, we, we did a lot about the writing process. But I think in terms of my stories themselves, I look back at some of the things I wrote then and obviously quite immature as a writer. So I went out and I did various jobs. Um, but it was really only when I got pregnant with my first daughter that I kind of had the time on my hands. I was on maternity leave. And it sounds quite strange because obviously you're busy with a new baby, but they do nap a lot. And I started going back to writing and I felt I had quite a lot to say at that point. So I started writing short fiction, which then led on to the novel. That is amazing. I love when people are able to kind of hone their craft and take their love of reading and sort of develop it into their own voice for telling the stories that live within them. I think that's just a really awesome gift that so many people are lucky enough to be able to share. Oh, yeah, I think you have those experiences, don't you, as a as a person? And I think without you knowing it in a way, they weave into everything you write. And I think probably when I was in my kind of teens and early 20s, I knew I wanted to write, but I didn't just quite have enough to say, I suppose. Right. I think we all have like small sort of things that we that we learn, that we absorb, but not all of that can we really put into a novel or a story? Like some of it is just sort of unformed, kind of primitive um, experiences that you can't really create into a, like a work of fiction. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you, without you even kind of consciously acknowledging them, I think in a way, and it's only when probably you get distance from a piece of writing, you think, oh wow, there's a theme running through there that you, yeah, you wouldn't have consciously known while you were writing, it's amazing. So when you actually sat down to write the novel, what kind of process did you use? Like, did you use an outline or did you kind mm -hmm. of create things as you went along? Yeah, I very much used, uh, it's quite different from writing a, a short story for me. So it was, it's very much structured, but I think 
I, I, I did veer from the structure. I kind of had my sort of beginning and midpoint and, and a very much a strong idea of the ending. But yeah, in between, I very much veered away from that because I think as you get to know the characters uh, in the book, you do really, they, they kind of do take themselves off in a different direction. And there were certain plot ideas which kind of came together as I was writing. And that's, I think, the fun of it. I think if you had almost every scene um, scripted out in a way, you, it perhaps would take that little bit of magic away that you get as you're writing. Um, but yeah, I did have a structure in place. I'm not someone who is super organised. I very much admire the writers with their post-it notes across lots of boards on the wall. Mine's more held in my head and sort of scribbled down <laughs> than that. But there is a structure there. One of the things that I've learned as I have been doing the podcast and have had the chance to speak with authors, I feel like every author has a writing process that is in some way unique from all the rest. Even if like when you look at it quickly, it seems like everyone kind of follows the same like few steps. Yeah. I feel like once I talk to people, you really kind of understand like what makes each process unique to the person. Yeah. I can imagine when that. I, I, <laughs> yeah, go on. I was just going to say, I think that is one of the things about writing and I guess, and about reading too, that we take our own experiences and beliefs and sort of form them, allow them to form our opinions and our thoughts about the things mm -hmm. that we create or the things that other people create. Yeah, definitely. And I think that idea of other people's stories weaving in, it's quite interesting when I'm uh, we're doing a lot of walks because we're here on sort of lockdown in the UK and we do sort of similar walks near our house every day and hearing my daughters um, they, they were making up stories yesterday as we went on the walk and hearing them they're weaving in the stories I've read to them recently or they've been listening to on audiobook and then manifesting in a new way but I can very much recognize those stories within their stories it's just fascinating and my daughter was saying that is that how it works with your book and I think it is very much the case everything you've read snippets you've overheard weave themselves into this magic patchwork that becomes your book <laughs> so how is it for you having your novel released during the pandemic? I mean, I'm guessing that when you sat down to write it, you <laughs> did not anticipate that when it was actually out in the world, yeah. it would be locked down. Yeah, it's been it's been quite crazy. I think I we've all adapted so much since the beginning of the first lockdown in March. So a lot of the events and obviously a lot of the interviews are virtual. So I suppose it hasn't affected my book or what I would do so much. But yeah, I, I could never imagine we would be in this situation. Um, it's a little bit crazy, but I think the magic of technology now is that we can do so much online. So yeah, just with all of the news that's come out about Reese and all of that, it was just magical and that was very much celebrated online. So yeah. So now that your book is out, what is next for you? Uh, yeah, I think I think for me, it's very much concentrating on book two. So I've I've um, handed in the first draft of that book. So I'll be working on those edits and, and continuing to chat to people, I'm sure, about this book. Do you feel um, I've heard some people say that as they move on to a second novel, I've heard some people say that it's kind of refreshing to like create new characters, create a new world. And then I've had other people who say that it's sort of sad to say goodbye to kind of those first people and places that they've created. Which would you say um, is most applicable to you? 
yeah I think it is it is sad in a way to 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 move away from a place that's very real in my head I'm quite a visual writer so I kind of very much inhabit the hotel the sommet in the novel so to say goodbye to that is a little bit sad but in the second book I'm carrying my main character through Ellen the detective so she is very much there in book two so I guess I'm holding on to a, a little part of book one in the writing of book two which is quite nice but I will definitely miss that sort of snowy mountain environment and the hotel. I think it's really excellent that your book was released at least here in the U.S. in the winter because we are having um, extremely cold weather throughout the U.S. Um, with lots of snow and so your kind of eerie atmospheric novel um, is just like perfect winter reading. Oh yeah I'm seeing some amazing photos speaking about the kind of virtual world and how nice it is we are connected now in that way. I've seen some amazing photographs of people holding the book up against the snow which sadly here in the UK we had a few flakes this morning and not much else since so it's been magical and I agree with you it's lovely if you are experiencing that world outside your door to then sort of fully immerse yourself in a book in the same way. <laughs> So is the sanatorium out in the UK yet? Yeah, so it came out two days. So in ebook and audiobook, it came out two days after the US, so last Thursday. Um, and then it comes out in hardback on the 18th, so not too long. Okay, that's right, because you in the UK do book releases on Thursdays, yes, where right. here we do them on Tuesdays. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting actually learning all the differences about between the UK and the US. Yes. So is your title the same then in both countries? It is, yeah, both the sanatorium okay. and both. And I think it will be in other countries as well, yeah. Excellent. It's always very confusing to me when I look at like an author's um, list of books and I'll see mm. like one title and then I'll see another title. And when I look at the <laughs> synopsis, it's the same book. I'm like, whoa. It's the... And yeah, it took I... me a little bit to kind of realize that in every for so many countries there are different titles. Yeah I find the title thing quite interesting I have to say I didn't know until obviously I became involved in the publishing process what a what a huge thing the title is in a way and that yeah it's quite often it's changed between the UK and the US and I do know what you mean sometimes you think it's a different book <laughs> so I can imagine there have been instances where people have bought twice not realizing. <laughs> yes Yes, or at least like looked, you know, at Goodreads and like, oh, this person has a new book out. Oh, no, wait, <laughs> it's the same. It's the same. The synopsis yes. is the same. <laughs> yes. So early on, um, when we were first starting to talk, you mentioned being a reader for a long period of time. And so I'm wondering what kinds of books you enjoy. Oh, yeah, I love everything. I, I don't read one specific genre. So though I've written a thriller, which I do love reading, um, I, I probably devour just about everything. I love kind of historical fiction. Um, I love reading, I suppose, what would class be general sort of women's fiction. One of my favourite authors is Tessa Hadley. I don't know if you've read any of hers. I have um, not. Yeah, she writes short fiction um, as well as novels. Um, and I devour anything that she writes. I love Sarah Waters. Oh, yes. um, I've loved all of the late Helen Dunmore's work. So she was a poet, um, but some of her books are beautiful. So yeah, I read really widely anything and everything. <laughs> so in the months kind of leading up to the publication of your book, were mm. there books that you read that you kind of fell in love with that you would like the world to know about? 
yeah, I've, I've actually read a really good proof recently. So I think this book is coming out in the US, possibly the same time as in the UK. It's called When They Find Her by Leah Middleton, who's a new author. Um, and I won't say too much about the plot without giving it away. But it was a book I read in two days, which I, is always a really good sign, I think. Um, yes. And it's about a mother um, uh, in, a, in a broken family and a daughter who goes missing and I really can't say too more too too much more because it will give it away but it's a lot about maternal guilt and broken families and how much you can trust your own memory and yeah just very well written um and a real page turner so that for me has probably been my best book of the past few months that is one that I will definitely keep an eye out for I have not seen it yet um hopefully the galleys of it will be appearing soon or at least a, a date for its publication I am not unfortunately I'm not a very patient reader so I'll see something I'm like oh it's not coming out until like August and it's only February I know that's the, that's the trouble isn't it and again I don't yes. know if it will be the title in the US so um yeah it may well be changed I suppose that's always possible well I will definitely keep an eye out for it so when you are actually writing, do you find it difficult to read thrillers and other types of books that kind of would cross into your genre? I know some authors will say that they try to read outside their genre so as not to kind of muddy the waters <laughs> of their creative process. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, to be honest, I think I probably struggle to read in a way at all when I'm writing. I think when I'm editing, it's a perhaps you're using a different part of the brain in a way. And I think I find I can then sort of relax and read. But I, I'm, when I'm sort of working creatively and doing quite long days on a deadline, um, and I'm almost writing from scratch, I'm pretty much exhausted by the end of the day. And I think my word brain or reading brain is exhausted as well. So in a way, I don't have that problem because I tend to sort of write and write without reading at the same time. It's only really when I edit, I then start relaxing and reading again. So yeah, probably a bit unusual in that way. So if you had to pick like a favorite part of writing, would you say that that initial kind of writing from scratch piece is something yeah. that you prefer or would it be kind of the going back and editing and smoothing things out? Yeah, that's changed. That's a really interesting thing, actually. I think when I was writing the first book uh, without a deadline, because obviously I had no, no idea whether it would be published, I'd say you, you, you feel quite loose. And that beginning period when you're just freely writing and exploring the idea was was my favourite. But I think when I was writing the second book, I think I felt there's a little bit more pressure of a deadline. Um, so in a way, you're working in a in a stricter way, even in those initial stages. So I think for the second book, my sort of honing, and there's a lot more editing to do with my editor and agent, but I think I enjoyed probably the honing stage of the second book more. Um, and it will probably continue to be the case with future books. I think it's quite magical with the first one where you aren't under that time constraint in a way. So speaking of time constraints and pressure, how do you kind of ensure that you're going to meet your deadlines? Like, are there strategies that you've kind of put in place to make sure that you write like a certain amount every day or how does that work for you? Yeah, I, I, that's a really good question. I think it, it's something that you need to probably hone as you work. I think I tend to underestimate the amount of time I need to do things and overestimate in others so I think I'm probably a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to the editing and you need to let go I think I 
often will try and rework something which actually ends up I either cut or someone else cuts. And I think that's a learning process of perhaps just being a bit freer at the beginning. Um, and I think for me, yeah, it's it's been quite a, a journey with learning how to set those time constraints. I think now um, my process has definitely been honed from the beginning where I would tend to just very much <laughs> let my mind wander. But I think I need to sort of set in a way daily deadlines, which I didn't do with the first book, but I did with the second. I guess it is something that the more you do it, the more kind of you figure out what works for you and yeah. maybe things that don't serve you as well, you can kind of let go of. Yeah, I don't definitely. think I would be very good at working under a deadline in that yeah. way. Um, when I was in college, I procrastinated horribly. I would like turn <laughs> things, you know, sit down and write something you know, the day before it was due. And I'm guessing, you know, that's not really how you want to write a novel. <laughs> Yeah, and I think I. Th but in a way, I do think that the procrastination is probably an ideal way to write it. I think. But my husband commented actually watching. He said it's in such an intense process when you almost are treating it like a nine to five. I think naturally throughout a, a month you kind of cycle in and out of that kind of creativity, and at the beginning process where you just you do in a way need to be immersed in the story in a way that when you're editing it's a little bit different. You can be a bit more detached. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it is ideal working every day in that way with such mm -hmm. intensity. I think having those time off, be it, you know, a few days just to think and let the story settle is more of a is a better way to do it. I think when you are on a deadline and you're doing that nine to five writing, um, yeah, you lose some of that perhaps magic in a way that you have when you can relax in between. That makes a lot of sense. Mm. So before I let you dash off to your next interview, I'm wondering if you can let listeners know how they can find you online. Yeah, sure. So um, I have my website, which is www.sarahpierce.co.uk, or I'm on Instagram a lot on the at Sarah Pierce author, um, and I'm on Twitter at Sarah V. Pierce. All right. Well, I want to thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedule to talk with me and let listeners know a little bit about kind of who you are and what your writing is like. Oh, and thank you so much for having me. I love chatting. You're welcome. Okay, so let's chat about new books, because as always, they are great. So the first few that I'm going to mention, as always, are books that you've heard us talk about before on our most anticipated books of February episode. So I'm starting with a book that I know at least the audiobook has been pushed back a week, but I could not find definitive information about the print or the ebook. So I want to leave it here just in case. This is out Past the Stars, and it's The Farian War, book three, by KB Wagers. This is a book that Kristen has been super excited about for months, and when she heard that the audio was being delayed until March 2nd, she was a little sad. So if you're waiting for the audio like Kristen, you will have to continue to wait, but you might be able to get the print or the ebook. I also need to mention Make It Sweet by Kristen Callahan, which is a contemporary romance that Stacy is eagerly anticipating. We also have Wicked All Night, which is the third book in Janine Frost's Night Rebel series. And this is 
one of Natalia's most anticipated February books. So I want to transition now to some books that you haven't heard us talk about before. And there are not a ton of these this week, but the ones that are coming out are pretty great. So I didn't feel quite as bad about not having a high number because I feel like the quality is super good this week. So if you are a fan of Karen Marie Moning's Fever series, you will be very pleased to know that Kingdom of Shadow and Light Fever number 11 is out this week. And this is a series that I really loved when it first came out. I read the first five books and they were wonderful. Then she took it in a direction that I didn't necessarily care for. And so I haven't been keeping up with it. But I'm kind of feeling that urge to go back and visit Fever again. So this is urban fantasy that deals with the Fae set in Ireland. Um, The first five books are so, so great. So anyway, this is Kingdom of Shadow and Light, Fever, number 11, by Karen Marie Moning. And sticking with the urban fantasy theme, we have a book by Australian author Carrie Arthur, This is Magic Misled, and it's number seven in her Lizzie Grace series. This is a series that I haven't read yet, although it has been on my TBR pile for such a long time. It's about a witch. I love Arthur's writing. It's sexy and suspenseful, and I feel like her characters are ready to just leap out of the books. If you've never read a Carrie Arthur before, I highly recommend her, whether you pick up a Lizzie Grace book or a Riley Jensen book, or she has so many fantastic things. I just, I don't think you can go wrong with Carrie Arthur. So this is Magic Misled, and it's Lizzie Grace, number seven, by Carrie Arthur. We then have a new encrypted novel. This is Calculated Risk, encrypted number 10 by Seanan McGuire. Now, this confuses me because up until this point, all of the encrypted books have been available in audio, but I do not see an audio date listed here. So I don't know if it's being released later Um, But maybe the date's not known, or if it's just not coming out in audio, which would be terrible. But this is the second book in the series about Sarah, who is the cuckoo. You will remember her um, if you have read the other books. So this is Calculated Risk, Encrypted, number 10, by Seanan McGuire. Then I'm going to move on to a thrillery, very creepy book. This is the new Nalini Singh, and it's called Quiet in Her Bones. I was lucky enough to read an early copy, and it is so, so disturbing. Unlike her urban fantasy, there is no romantic arc here. So if you're looking for something that's kind of like romantic suspense, you'll want to put this aside because it's not going to, um, to work for you this way. But it is about a young man who is suffering from a brain injury, And he's also trying to figure out what happened to his mother, who disappeared 10 years ago. Her body has been found now, and he really wants to know the truth about what led to her death. So this is Quiet in Her Bones, and it is by Nalini Singh. I really, really loved it. Then we are going to talk a little bit about marriage, a couple of marriage books here. Um, Honey Girl by Morgan Rogers is out this week, and this is one that I'm pretty excited about. 
It is the story of a woman who gets married to a woman that she doesn't know very well. And now that they're married, she's kind of not really sure how this is going to go. And so she spends some time alone with her wife, kind of in an attempt to get to know her better. And this just looks like such a lovely um, like marriage story about people who perhaps married for the wrong reasons, but are looking to make the best of it. I'm just really excited to check it out. I love stories featuring um, lesbian couples. So I'm really excited for this. It's Honey Girl, and it is by Morgan Rogers. We also have The Smash Up. This is by Allie Benjamin. And I can't tell if this is going to be like a thriller or just sort of a like a drama. The synopsis doesn't give me enough information to know, but it's also about a marriage. And this marriage apparently spirals out of control due to the intrusion of sort of issues of the day, cultural issues, political issues. Apparently these things put a great strain on our protagonist's marriage and all sorts of bad things happen. So this is The Smash Up and it's by Allie Benjamin. I'm going to talk a little bit about a couple of World War II novels. First up is Those Who Are Saved by Alexis Landau. This reminds me a little bit of Early One Morning by Virginia Bailey. It's about a woman who is forced to be separated from her child. Um, She gives the child to the nanny and is able to um, have the nanny flee into France during the Second World War while she herself goes to America without the child. Um, It looks very sad, very intense, but if you love World War II stories, you might want to check it out. It is Those Who Are Saved by Alexis Landau. I also want to mention The Kitchen Front by Jennifer Ryan. She wrote a book called The Chilberry Ladies' Choir a couple of years ago, and this one kind of reminds me of this. It's about four women who enter a cooking competition during World War II, and this is supposed to kind of help them keep their families fed, keep their spirits up, but it ends up doing a whole lot more. This sounds delightful, um, definitely about the war, but sort of about the people who are left behind rather than those who are fighting on the front lines. So this is The Kitchen Front, and it's by Jennifer Ryan. And I have two YA novels to talk about before I dash off here. Um, First up, we have Some Other Now, and this is by Sarah Everett. If you love This Is Us, the TV show, then you might want to check this out. It's billed as This Is Us for teens. It's about a teenage girl who is struggling to decide which of two brothers she's in love with. And they're kind of navigating life together over the course of two summers. And so it looks kind of emotional, um, a little dramatic. I've never watched This Is Us, but my partner really loves it. And I know that a lot of other people do too. So you might want to check it out if you're a fan. This is Some Other Now, and it's by Sarah Everett. And lastly, we have Prepped. This is by Bethany Mangle. And it is the story of a girl raised in a doomsday prepper community. And she has been plotting her escape. But it isn't until the boy who lives in the bunker next door kind of signs on to help her that she actually feels like she has the courage to go through with leaving her family behind. Um, 
I love books about cults. I love books about the apocalypse and like preparing for the end of the world. So this one, it looks like it will be right up my alley in more than one way. And I definitely plan to read it very soon. It is Prepped by Bethany Mangle. And that is all I have for you today. I think this is a nice kind of way to end February with some really great books. I hope all of you are safe and well, especially if you are in the parts of the country that have been so, so terribly hit by the winter weather. Please stay safe, stay warm, and stay well. And if you can, keep reading. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm